This is Vanderbilt Business, and I'm Kara Shear. Derek Young is an Owen alum and incoming president of Fidelity Japan. Prior to that, he spent 22 years in other roles at Fidelity Investments, working his way up to become the vice chairman of Fidelity Institutional Asset Management. Nate Luce, senior director of marketing and communications, sat down with Derek during his recent trip to Nashville. They discussed the importance of networking, the best way to sell yourself, trends in asset management, preparing to work internationally, and more. Hi, everyone. So I'm here with Derek Young today. He's the president of Fidelity Japan and a member of its global operating committee. Derek, thank you so much for taking the time to be with me today. Thank you, Nate. I appreciate it. So, Derek, you're an Owen alum. Um, Can you do our audience a favor and recap your career for us? I'd be glad to. I graduated from Owen in 1991. I ended up at the Federal Reserve Board in Washington. Went from the Federal Reserve Board to KPMG Pete Marwick for a year before we ended up at Fidelity Investments in Boston for 22 years and then left Fidelity uh, after 22 years, resigned and uh, had a one-year non-compete and the owner of the firm asked if I would come back and run Japan. And so I'm going to, going to run Japan and be on the Global Operating Committee. Congratulations. And we were talking before, uh, before the podcast um, about your interest in networking and why you think it's so important. Networking is something that MBAs get kind of banged over the head with before, during, and after uh, their, their time at school. Why is it so important to you? So when I think about networking, first of all, it is networking, right? It's not net drinking. It's not net eating. You know, it's not net socializing. I mean, it is networking, right? You have to work when you network. So you have to think about it like you would a job, right? What are your goals? What are your aspirations? And I go back to when I left Owen, right? 1991, it was a tough job market. I literally was trying to figure out what I'm going to do next in my career. And Dewey Dane, who was a professor who'd been here forever, uh, had um, a seminar class. And so we had an executive come in from the Federal Reserve Board in Washington. And this guy's name was Bill Taylor, and he ran banking supervision at the Fed. And when our class ended, it was on a Thursday. And we had the keg in the courtyard at that point in time on Thursdays. And so I know we still have that same type of event here at Owen. But anyway, I went to Mr. Taylor after, after his presentation and said, Mr. Taylor, we have a keg in the courtyard. I'd love to host you. Uh, for a beer if you'd like to join me. And he said, well, Derek, as a matter of fact, my flight doesn't leave for three hours. I'd be glad to join you. So literally, we go down. He asked me what I had done. I told him I'd been in real estate. There were obviously no real estate opportunities in 91. He said, I was in real estate in Chicago. Now I'm at the Federal Reserve Board. We started talking. The next thing I know, he says, Derek, send me your resume. You got a job. So I looked down. I'm like, yes, he's only had a half a beer. So I made sure. <laughs> and uh, so I thought, this is great, right? He hands me his card. And that's how I ended up at the Federal Reserve Board. So when I think about networking, I mean, it can be that basic, right? Looking for opportunities where you can meet somebody that can be part of your network. And there are people in your network that can be mentors and actually guide you in terms of what you do. There's others who can be sponsors. So when I looked at it like Bill Taylor, I thought, this is a guy who could be a sponsor. What does that mean? That's somebody who can go into a room when you're not there and say, Derek's the right person for this job. So you guys interview him at the Fed, and then I end up at the Federal Reserve Board. He also made sure that I got on derivatives projects in the early 90s in capital markets. And he said, look, this guy's freshly minted MBA from Owen in Nashville, from Vanderbilt, and I want to make sure that he gets on the best projects. So immediately, my career was set up, basically inviting a gentleman for beer after class at Owen. And so when I think about networking, I, I encourage people to think through the networking process. If you're interning, have goals. Go through and figure out how many people you want to meet with. How many new people are you going to connect with that you're going to feel like you've got their contact information you can reach out to later? 
Think about it even in terms of your peers. So how do you find your peers out there who are like-minded, where you may have like interest? Because as they're looking at things and you're looking at things in terms of opportunities, you want to be able to share thoughts and ideas with those as well who are sort of in a similar uh, state, economic state, similar social state as yourself to make sure that you're getting those ideas as well. So I do think networking goes up and down the scale. It can be the mentor, it can be the sponsor, but you also think about those people who are more your peers and working with them as well. You're obviously a, a charming, gregarious person, and so I'm sure networking is work for you, but given you know that you're seasoned and you've been doing it for a while, it probably comes a little more second nature than it might for someone who is just starting an MBA program or thinking about starting an MBA program. And there could be some people who might be a little hesitant to kind of reach out to people they don't know for interests that seem you know fairly professional. They might feel like they're asking for more than they might be able to give back. For people who might be a little bit nervous about networking, what would you tell them? Yeah, I think you have to realize that there's a, a wealth of information that's out there that you can leverage, but you have to be able to figure out how to ask for it. So one of the simplest ways, if you feel like you're going to put a burden on someone to ask them what their opinions are, what their thoughts are, how they would help you manage your career, is just to be very candid about, you know, can we have an information session? Can we have a, a, a session basically to go through and talk about how to think about managing a career? So these informational interviews are really important. And this is a way that you learn more about what's happening without the person feel like, feeling like you're asking them for a job. So if you come in and say, I am actually wanting to talk to you because I want a job, that immediately turns people off, right? But if you come in and say, look, I've looked up your career, you have a fascinating career, I'd love to learn more about what you've done in your career, how did you get where you got, can you share insights that may be helpful to me as I think about what the next opportunities would be for me? So it is trying to find a way to approach people that, is, that puts them basically in a situation where they don't have to be defensive. You want them to be welcoming to your uh, invitation. And in order to do that, you really have to think through that part of it. And so I do think you have to, if, if you're not comfortable being social, you really have to think about that aspect. So how do you build your line for how you ask people for help? And a way to do it is just to take, again, sort of take that approach where you're making them less defensive, but then more likely to be helpful for you. Makes sense. And so another aspect of the things you're talking about, uh, and something that we talked about before the, the recording, was um, the importance of selling yourself. And you mentioned that you have a few keys. Can you kind of unpack that for us? Definitely. So one of the things that's really, really important to think about is stressing integrity. And when you think about stressing integrity, it seems like a given and obvious that integrity should be just, you know, motherhood and apple pie for most people. It's actually not in business. And there's a real appreciation for the fact that those people who recognize the importance of integrity stand out from the crowd. And so it is as simple as it may sound, it's important to be able to push that issue in particular because there's no substitute for integrity. And so that's the first starting point for how to sell yourself. Secondly, it's being client-centric and client-focused. And it seems like the obvious thing to say, client-centric, client-focused. What does that mean? In all businesses, there's a client on the other side. And even if you're internal and you're actually helping others internally, your clients can be internal as well, right? They can be internal clients or external clients. But what is it that they need for you to help them with? And when I think about investment management, in most cases in investment management, the people who are giving you their money to manage can't manage it for themselves. So you have to be someone who truly is interested in helping others. I mean, how do you make their dreams and hopes come true of sending their kids to college, of being able to retire with dignity, right? So there's this altruistic nature 
of helping the client that you really want to be able to reinforce. So again, integrity, and then how do you make sure that you're saying you're focused on the client and you understand and appreciate what the client needs are and being able to focus on that in what you deliver for your job. The other thing I would mention is cre uh, creativity and innovation. It's so important, and again, I think this is a trait that we learn here at Owen, is to think about how do you think differently. You know, challenge the norm. You know, do you challenge the norm in a way that's productive? So you want to make sure that you're thinking about how do you help the world be a better place, right? With innovation, creativity. And I go through and think about things like ESG investing, which is environmental, social, and governance investing. It's a huge area of growth right now in the asset management industry. The biggest challenge with that is how do you think about generating a return and also be ESG sensitive? So the innovation and creativity is around thinking about how do you mix those two, right? As a manager, you have a fiduciary responsibility to deliver performance. And so you're actually hired by someone to deliver performance. So if you're going to focus on ESG, it needs to be in a way where you're also thinking about how do we meet the goal of delivering the, the return expectations. And so think about the creativity that's involved in that in terms of things that you may want to, to focus on and push the organization to think differently on. So again, there's a lot of areas for creativity and innovation that show up. The other thing is collaboration. So that's the, the, the point that I would also make because I think it's an Owen trademark. It's what we do at Owen. We're collaborative. I mean, we want to think about how we bring the best ideas to the table collectively for a team, and we don't tear other people down, right? We view it as if we can build our partner up, it's going to make us better. Not if I tear them down, then I look better because they've all of a sudden been knocked down, right? So you want to pick up the entire team. So that collaboration is so important in the business world today. So again, I, I go back through those four things to sell yourself on. Figure out how to sell your integrity. Figure out how to, to sell the fact that you're client-focused. Figure out how to sell that you're creative and innovative. And figure out how to sell that you're collaborative. So you've been in this industry for quite some time. Tell me about some trends that you're seeing in the market today. Quite often I get asked about the health of the asset management industry, like how healthy is the industry or not. PwC just did a study last year, and in that study they came out and said by 2025, they expect global assets under management to be $145 trillion. Wow. Today, it's $85 trillion. So the growth is there. It's explosive growth. And the area that we see potential growth in is retail, alternatives, passive. And then even when you look at active, there's still a push for truly active performance in the investment industry. So if we go through and think about what that means is people are going to need more types of products and they're going to need more help as they, as they think about where they're going uh, with respect to their investments. And, and again, these growing asset bases that are going to be there. One of the other things we've seen is a blurring of the line between alternatives, public securities, and private securities. There's half as many public securities now as there once was. The reason why is companies are choosing to stay private. By the way, it's a lot easier to stay private, right? You don't have anywhere near the regulatory pressure. You don't have quarterly reporting, so you can focus on long-term investing. It's a lot simpler in terms of trying to think about the ownership structures in a private world versus a public world. And so we're seeing this combination, blurring of the lines, if you will, between alternative investments, public investments, and private investments. So again, it's just a very unique environment that we're now living through in terms of what we're seeing now. And you see it with a lot of the large technology companies who are staying private for much longer. Finally, on the trend side, the most important trend that's out there in terms of growth is really solutions. People are looking for help. And this would include both retail investors, so mom and pop, as well as institutional investors. As I like to say, quite often when you're talking to clients, 
they'll go through and say, you know, that's great that you have a product that fits most people who are like me, but I'm not worried about most people who are like me, I'm worried about me. So give me the product that fits me, not the product that fits most. Particularly if you have accumulation of wealth. When you're younger and you're saving, these one size fits most ideas and products are fine. Once you have money and you're trying to decide, can I retire now and no longer have to work, then you're like, give me the size that fits me. And that's where you see managed accounts coming in where people are going to advisors, going to large firms and saying, can you help me make sure that I've got the solution that fits me? And so that's going to continue to be a growth area, particularly as we see these asset bases grow over time. And also as you look overseas, you're going to continue to see more and more people who are going to be focused on, you know, how can you help me make sure that I can, again, retire with, with dignity and make sure that I'm on the right path in order to take care of all my financial goals. That sort of leads into my next question. Automation has certainly taken over in the financial industry in many different ways. There's lots of different tools and algorithms that now, and electronically traded funds amongst many other products that you might be working with and you might be competing against at the same time. Has that changed the way that you do your job? It really has. Technology and data has changed the financial industry dramatically. There are many more people who are hired who are data scientists technology experts who are now driving the investment processes of firms. And you see some, some firms that are totally focused on this, where they have built firms around those concepts of data and technology combined. But even for more standard, old, classic firms in the asset management industry, everyone has been pushing forward with the idea of how do you do more with data and technology to improve the investment performance. When you go through and look at such issues as electronic traded funds, so ETFs, and think about ETFs, ETFs actually were developed in a way to actually help institutional investors initially think about how to have an easier product to move in and out of for asset allocation solutions. They're very easy to trade, and so therefore you can actually move in and out much quicker than you can other investments. And so there's a transparency and ease of use that was there that ultimately shifted from the institutional environment to the retail environment because it was like, okay, all of a sudden if they're good enough for the institutional side, then in all likelihood they're going to be really good for the retail side. And so that's where the ETF growth has really come from if we go through and, and think about it because they do provide this really cheap option to providing exposure to the market and they do it in a way that's very transparent, transparent and easy to make moves in and out of. So again, I go through and think about that in terms of using data, using the technology, and also the creativity and innovation comes back into play there, right? Because you just see how people take these ideas and then all of a sudden they leverage them into one part of the, the workforce in terms of asset management and then turn around and say, okay, if they're good for the workplace where 401k plans are, et cetera, defined benefit plans, then are they also good for the retail accounts of investors? And so they've been able to take advantage of that as well. Where do newly minted MBAs fit into this picture now? Newly minted MBAs can really take advantage of the fact that these firms are continuing to grow. The growth opportunities are there. What is unique is that there's a drive for customization when you look at the industry. The clients are demanding customization, but they want it at a cheaper and cheaper price. I say this because if you're a new MBA, you've got to understand the pressure that's on firms financially. So they're being asked to do more with less. So you've got to be a part of that efficiency model. So as an MBA, you're coming in to help organizations think about how can they do more with less. It's really different than if you went back to the 90s where you know, everyone did everything because there was plenty of money to do everything. 
Now it's like you've got to be selective about what you do. You've got to be creative about where you're going to invest your money and where you're not going to invest your money. That's where an MBA has a real competitive advantage. You come out, you've got the latest training, you know everything that's going on from a creativity and innovation standpoint because of, of the education that you just had. And so the idea of taking that and walking in and saying, you know, I'm different. I'm different than the person who's been there for 20 years. I bring a fresh thought to the table. Many times, if you go through and think about millennials, so many firms are challenged with how do you actually structure to take advantage of millennials. There's nothing better than being a millennial to walk in and say, I am a millennial. I can help you with this. I can help you think differently. One of the things that we were doing at Fidelity is we were bringing millennials purposely into rooms with a lot of very senior people and saying, help us think about this differently. You know, we don't have the right ideas because we're not in your shoes. You know, we don't know how to build products the right way for millennials. What's going to really be attractive, what's not going to be attractive. And that's where the MBA can really take advantage of their position, where they are in terms of both intellect as well as age. And you come in and you combine those two things, again, make it a competitive advantage and sell it. It's a great point. So your, your new roles as president of Fidelity Japan is going to be your first international role uh, in your career at Fidelity or elsewhere. How do you prepare for that? What's going through your mind? How, how does that work out? It's a terrific question because I've had investment teams overseas. I've had investment teams in London. I've had them in Tokyo. I've had them in uh, Hong Kong. But as uh, a good friend of mine went, uh, said to me during this interviewing process to talk about this new role, he said, you realize, you know, rolling into Tokyo with your suitcase for a week is a lot different than living there. And so I've really thought about that a lot because culturally, there's a lot that I've had to address from afar, but never on the ground and being in those countries or in, or in a specific country. And so this is where I'm looking forward to, to thinking about it. What I love about the idea of Japan is Japan had a 0% interest rate policy long before anyone else. And in many ways, I think much of the world lost respect for Japan with a 0% interest rate policy and felt like that Japan was in a unique space that was so different from the rest of the world. Play that forward. Now what do you see? 0% interest rate policies were global in nature, not just in Japan. There was a recognition of what Japan had to do before anyone else ever did it. So I'm particularly biased when I look at it and think about the challenges of going to Japan. I look at it and go, Japan was actually the precursor for 0% interest rate policies for the world. And you know what they did? They figured out how to live in that world. They figured out how to be prosperous, how to continue to be an economy that could generate income, profits, continue to to be innovative and creative with their products. And so if I look at this and think about it, for me, I look at it and try to think about what are the key advantages that showed up in Japan that actually helped the rest of the world. So, So I'm excited to get there because I do feel like there's a lot of creativity and innovation in that world in Japan that I'm looking forward to being a closer part of. But it is uniquely different. And I think I would say if you're an MBA student, look for the opportunities to expand your horizons. Look for those opportunities to be more global in nature. I have worked a tremendous amount of time with people in all countries around the world, but in particular in Japan. I managed money, a retail fund for Japan back in the early 2000s, never realizing that I would ultimately be president of Japan for Fidelity, right? I ran this fund in the early 2000s. I had teams that ran money for Japan. I also spent a lot of time with our largest institutional clients in Japan. And I would meet with them because of my team actually managing money in Boston for Japanese clients. When I was meeting with them, I had no idea that I was going to be president of Japan. 
again, by virtue of, of doing these types of activities, of managing a fund for Japanese retail investors, of spending time with Japanese institutional clients, it actually positioned me so well to take advantage of the opportunity. And it wasn't something that I was planning in my head, but the idea of being willing to reach out and do more globally set me up to have this opportunity. So right now, where it's November, there's a lot of decisions being made for people that are considering B-School or in B-School. For those prospective students who are wondering whether they should go back to school to get an MBA or wondering whether they should continue their education uh, and pursue a Master of Science in Finance. They're asking themselves, what's the right school for me? Should I, should I pursue this education versus going into a fairly strong job market? Meanwhile, you have people that are first and second year MBA students that are trying to figure out what path they want to take. What advice would you have for those different groups of people in, in a time when their heads are spinning trying to figure out where to go and what to do? Yes, it's a terrific question. It is loaded, by the way, because uh, <laughs> it always depends on the, on the individual. But in most situations, there's no substitute for education. There really is no substitute. I would not have had the opportunities that I had had it not been for my education at Owen. And I know that. It's the reason why I'm on the alumni board, and I look forward to giving back in so many ways to Owen because I realize how Owen changed my life. So I say to, pro to new students, so prospects, who are looking at business schools, I say you've got to think about the skill sets that you have now versus what you could have if you went back to an MBA program. Short term, you may look at it and say, well, I've got a good job. And you may say, you know, I'm in great shape. But where do you want to be for your entire career? So where do you want to be 10 years from now? Where do you want to be 20 years from now? Do you want to be a leader? You know, what are your own personal ambitious goals that you've set up that you really think about beyond sort of what am I making now? How much income am I going to give up? You know, am I going to have a job in two years? So think about the educational process and how you're building your own brand and whether it's worth it to you to make that decision to go back and make sure you've got the strongest brand you can have. Because what you're doing when you go back to graduate school, it's not about the job that you're going to get coming out of graduate school. It's what you're going to do for the rest of your career. And so I think that's the part that I really try to stress is you have to think about that aspect. When you go through and look at it and say, do I want a master's of science in finance or do I want an MBA? A lot depends on how focused you want to be. I have a CFA. I got a, that's a charter financial analyst designation. So I got that designation after I went to Owen. And for me, the MBA was more general. And then as soon as I said I want to go back and get the Charter Financial Analyst, the CFA designation, that meant I wanted to focus more on the investment side. So I think you have to think about where you are. Are you ready to focus? Do you want to have more of a focus around Master's of Science and Finance? Or do you want to have the breadth of the MBA to give you more opportunities? Again, I think it's person-specific, but either way, the point that I really want to stress over and over again is there is no substitute for education and making sure you've got the strongest brand you can have, not only for the short term, but for your entire career. And for the students that are sort of kind of in the thick of it now, as they look for internships or full-time jobs, depending on the year they are in school, any words of wisdom for them? Absolutely. When I go through and look at where you are now, this is where I really want to stress the importance of networking. Look for ways, challenge yourself Look for ways to challenge yourself to actually go out there and build your network. There are so many Owen alums, for example, who are terrific. And we're good about reaching out to students and spending time with students and talking about what we do, how we've done it. So I would say give yourself goals. I mean, go through and say, you know, every month I'm going to go through and try to reach out to three new people that I don't know. 
literally give yourself a quantitative goal because after all we are MBAs <laughs> so we typically are driven by more of, or, of quantitative goals and by the way that that gets uh, gets uh, measured gets managed right <laughs> so if you measure it you manage it so I think if you set yourself goals just like you would at work and say okay every month I'm gonna try to find three new people that I can reach out to reach out to them you can even tell them look you know, one of the things I'm trying to do is build a network and I've set personal goals for myself and, and that's the reason why I want to reach out to you because I've identified you as somebody who I really should get to meet and I would really like to know and I'd like to learn more about what you do. So I do feel like if you're that current student, you really have to think about the network itself. There's nothing more important. As I mentioned, that's how I got my job out of OM. But I can tell you, it's also why I'm in the role that I've got now in Japan because I reached out to people who worked in our international business last year and told them that, that you know, I was in the process of thinking about leaving Fidelity, but that I would love to have the opportunity to work on the international side if there was anything available. They told me to sit tight, that they needed time to figure out what was going on there. But these were the people who, when I left, I said, I want to remind you that I told you before I did this that I was interested in the international business. If there's any opportunities there, please keep me in mind. They said, well, we definitely will. Then I get a, a reach out two months later saying, you know, we'd like to talk to you and see if you would consider this role in Japan. So again, you don't know if it's going to work or not, but that's the idea is you have to go out there and build a broad enough network so that you get, you get opportunities when they do arise. Because what it is is you want to be front and center of someone's mind. So if you're that student right now, you want to make sure that you're looking for that great internship. So you want to network. If you're looking for your final job, you know, you want to make sure that you're well positioned for that. And by the way, when you go to that internship, that is the greatest opportunity to get a job. First of all, you get to demonstrate on the job that you're worthy of a permanent job. So it, there's no better interviewing process than to have an internship. When you're there, be more aggressive about how many people you want to meet per week that you don't know. I have interns that reach, would reach out to me at Fidelity in other parts of the firm, and they'd say, you know, I've heard about you. I've heard about your teams. I heard that you're in the growing area of the business because I ran the managed account business and also the asset allocation business at Fidelity. I said, we ran three of the five investment divisions at Fidelity over the years. And so people would reach out and say, look, I'm not in investments. However, I want to learn more about what you do. And I always accommodated. I always said, you know, I'll be willing to talk to you about what's going on. So again, when you have that internship, you already have the badge to be able to get into the building, right? So you're, you're on the inside. You're in the, you're in the castle. So you've already crossed the moat. You're in the castle. You've got that opportunity to really take advantage of it and definitely do it. Again, set goals for yourself of how many new people you want to meet. And also, through the internship, I often say, think about when you leave, who are the people that you're going to stay in contact with. So you leave the job, you come back to, you know, for your second year at Owen, and you reach back out, you know, September, October. Who are the people from where you had your internship that you know you're going to be able to send an email to and say, hey, just want to let you know I'm back in Nashville. I just really want to thank you so much for everything you did for me, right? And maintain that relationship. And tell them, Ken, do you mind if I keep you informed about what I'm doing with my career and my job search? Because if I get an opportunity someplace else, can I come and talk to you about it? Those kinds of things where, you, again, you take the pressure off of that person, like, can you get me a job? But rather you say, can you be part of my network? Can you be my mentor? Can you be my sponsor? And those are the types of things that I think can be very helpful for the current students. Derek, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. I really appreciate it. Valuable advice from start to finish. And we're very lucky to have you as an alum that's so engaged with us. So thank, hey, you. Thank, thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity. I have a particular passion for Owen, as you can probably tell. And I'm delighted to be here today. 
thanks to Derek and Nate again for their time, and thank you for listening. You can find more stories and information about Owens Graduate School of Management by visiting our website, business.vanderbilt.edu, or following at Vanderbilt Owen on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Music is provided by Mike Foster, and I'm Kara Shearer.